Hello and welcome back to the Part-Time Gaffers. My name is Delish. And I'm David. And we have a brand new series for you today. I'm excited. We're both excited. We've put a lot of prep into this and we've come up with a position evolution series for you. Just to give you a little background about where this came from. So I was just thinking about different positions in football and how they change over time. We're going to start with the cam position. If you don't know what the cam position is, it stands for central attacking midfielder. And you don't really see this position a lot in today's football but 10 or 15 years ago cams were they were the shiz like everyone wanted to be a cam it is the goat position it's the greatest (laughs) of all time like that's not debatable some of the best players of all time were cams i don't know how they could just erase that position off the map but regardless we're here to tell you all about it yeah so we can't wait there's a lot that's happened in football that's resulted in the demise of cams i guess you'd say it's, it's a very sad story but we're here to tell it to you today also just a quick mention we have midweek premier league games back already it's like august we uh, sorry it's now september well, yeah. <laughs> but how are they back already <laughs> unbelievable it's thanks not. fifa world cup for that one we talked about midweek games with the cups we're kind of used to that but yeah midweek games for premier league is kind of insane and shout out to Fabio Carvalho for his amazing winner against Newcastle yesterday morning. Yeah, you know who doesn't get a shout out though? Aston Villa. We are recording this on transfer deadline day and they've now rejected three Arsenal bids <laughs> for Douglas Luiz. Take the cash. He's leaving on a free next year. Gerard, be smart here. Be smart. Just make the right decision. <laughs> I am frustrated. We've got like an hour left. Anyway, we've got a whole episode for you next week on transfer deadline day and the whole transfer market this summer. So tune back in next week for that but let's get into talking about cams welcome back so we've broken this down for you into a timeline everyone loves a timeline right so we're going to start at about the early 90s uh, and take you through to the present day just explaining how the cam position has been used how it's transformed over time We've got three sort of lenses to look through. So one is obviously the time aspect. We've got the different managers who have influenced these changes. And we'll talk a bit about the formations that they've gone through and how adjustments have been made around how football is played and its effect on the cam position. A quick note on just a few childhood memories that both David and I have about cams. So growing up, like I mentioned, cams were at their peak popularity in about the early 2000s. And everyone wanted to be a cam. Like when I first started playing football, (laughs) even though I I used to play defense, everyone wanted to play cam. Like lunchtime football, everyone was a cam. No one defended. (laughs) There was no defense. Well, yeah, because you'd rather have a 10-8 game than a 2-0. But also, also you would rather be in midfield technically than just the striker who has to stay up top and doesn't get to be part of the game as much. I feel like that's what made cam so special for me. See, look, I'm not going to lie. I played cam a lot. I loved it. I did want to be the striker who just sits up the top. <laughs> I love a tap-in. We've played futsal together. You know I just like hanging up the front and tapping it in. It's my vibe. I'm a bit of an Aubameyang, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> or an Erling Haaland. But look, look, I only have favourable memories of playing Cam. It's a great position. I mean, it's essentially the spark in the team, right? And you yeah. got all the praise because you were the playmaker. You were the one who set up all the goals. Mm-hmm. You, it's, I think the Cam is like the quarterback of football. It pretty much was. And now imagine for you American football fans, a football team without a quarterback. 
That's what football's become today. What has this game become? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we'll head into a timeline. So we've got, I'll start us off with the early 90s through to about, so from 1992 to, through to about 2004. And we'll kind of call this a mixture of what we're calling an engine era and the second strike era. Uh, we say this because the main formation that was used during this period is the 4-4-2. The classic Everyone the Brexit loves. football 4-4-2. <laughs> you still can't beat a 4-4-2 no matter what anyone says. It's Sir Alex Ferguson's favorite formation for a reason. It's stable, solid, balanced as well, and players understand it. Ferguson was so successful with a 4-4-2. But in the early stages of this, uh, we'll talk about, I guess, the role of the midfielders and also the role of the strikers. Because being a cam, you have to operate between these two sets of roles, right? So your role is to kind of be the link between the midfield and the team and then feed the strikers and be the playmaker. And in this era, we ended up having the expectation of midfielders because you only had two central midfielders in a 4-4-2, uh, you had to be box-to-box, right? There, there was no room for anyone being lazy, not tracking back. There wasn't any room for people to be slacking off an attack and not providing an extra option going forward. So you ended up with these box-to-box midfielders, and this sort of carried forward into the future. And that, that kind of carried through as well through to the 2000s, where we ended up having the two strikers up top within the stars of the team, right? So you started to shift from having... The midfielders as the stars of the team to the strikers and you'd have players like Burkamp, Cantona, they would be your stars and you build a team around them and your whole team is based around making them successful. That was the managers that we sort of had there were Ferguson and Wenger and they both followed this 4-4-2 formation um, and followed us through. So as you can see, no cams yet, David. But that sort of started to change around the mid-2000s. Yeah, when Jose Mourinho entered Jose, the league. Let me take you to 2004. Mourinho joins Chelsea. I think he won in his first season with Chelsea, right? Yeah, won in his first season. And he completely changed the game because he brought the 4-3-3 formation to the Premier League. He didn't invent it, but being Jose Mourinho, he definitely innovated it mm-hmm. and then brought it to the league. And what really happened here in a 4-3-3 is that he had two box-to-box mids who sat just behind this new cam position. So you had like a midfield triangle. And Mourinho was able to dominate almost every team he came up against who was still playing a 4-4-2 because his three mids would always outnumber the two. Three is greater than two. It is. (laughs) Three is greater than two. It's really that simple. And Mourinho was quoted often as saying in interviews that he's always going to win those midfield battles. He's always going to dominate the game because he has three players and they only have two. And so winning that midfield battle was absolutely crucial. What's interesting with the cam roll is it started to take shape in this formation. But the cam roll under Mourinho in this 4-3-3 was a little bit different to what it ended up being a few years later. The cam roll had a very set goal, which was to be the attacking mid of that triangle, and they need to be getting goals and assists. And when you think of the key players during this time, you've got Lampard, you've got Fabregas at Arsenal, and you've got Paul Scholes at Man United. All of these guys 
could shoot and they could pass really well. That's mm-hmm. what they were good at. And so while they were playmakers, they were definitely goal getters as well. And this is kind of an all-rounder era because you think of these players and you just naturally think they're all-rounders. A few years later, Winger evolved this 4-3-3 formation and started to adjust it and mold it into a 4-2-3-1. So you might be thinking, how are those the same formation? Well, really, they're not that different, right? A 4-2-3-1, you have your two holding mids, so less box-to-box, a little bit more holding, and you pull your wings back to midfield. So you actually have your wings responsible for coming back on defense as well and controlling that midfield. Essentially, you have a midfield of five now instead Mm -hmm. of a midfield of three. But those two on the left and right... They don't have to get as involved in controlling possession. So under Wenger, who drove this change, the cam role became more specialist and technical. So the main task would be to create opportunities and control the attacking game. Goals were a bonus. Assists mm-hmm. were the main thing that you would judge a cam by. And you'd notice that the players became more technically gifted. And there was this trend, which you highlighted when we were researching this, mm-hmm. that players came from Spain. Because naturally, each country kind of produces its own flavor of player. And Spain produced really technical players. Spanish and South American as well. There's a couple South oh, Americans. Of course, because you'd want to throw in Coutinho, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you had Coutinho and you brought up Oscar as well. Who I'd kind of forgotten about because he sold himself to the Chinese league, but man, he was good. Hey, we, we won't go there. <laughs> but yeah, he was. He was. Oscar amazing. was incredible. Unfortunately for us, we don't get to watch him play because he went to China. And mm-hmm. very fortunately for him, he's probably made more money than most other footballs in the Premier League. Hundred oh, <laughs> percent. Um, but think of your guys like Cazorla, Mata, Özil, Eriksson, and David Silva. These are these technical players, beautiful to watch, linked up play and created so many chances for their strikers and the other mids and wingers to score. And that's really what this era was about. And it suited Wenger Ball. Wenger mm-hmm. Ball is literally tiki-taka, which if you don't know, is just fast link up play, lots of passing to make Short your way passes. up the field. Yeah. And Wenger Ball is an adjustment on tiki-taka. It's not as fast, but it's a focus on being more beautiful and more exact I guess slightly slower paced. So you take your time, it's, but you it's do it It's all about right. having link up passes and options to play short passes all the way through the midfield and up the pitch and then to eventually score. Yeah. Which and they did really well. And so essentially you've got two managers who didn't really love each other, Wenger and Mourinho, had a couple fights on the touchline. There was who, a lot of beef. <laughs> who contributed a huge amount to the league. They together set the standard for what a cam should be. And so that then takes us to around 2015, 2016. Klopp and Pep enter the league. What happens, Delesh? And then we end up with a different kind of 4-3-3. So history repeats itself, not in the exact same way. But the difference between the 4-3-3 that Klopp and Pep brought in, and Pep really sort of started this with the false nine, right? And he started this at Barcelona in about, what was it, 2009? With his Barcelona team. Um, And I remember the first game, yeah, it was 2009 against Real Madrid was like the first time that he tried out this false nine role in a big El Clasico. And he put Messi up top, but essentially asked him to play as a midfielder. So he still had his three in midfield, but he would then overload by asking what was his striker, his number nine, to be a false number nine and just drop into midfield to help out more in that space too. So he sort of started that with this game. And I think in this game, Messi scored like a hat trick against Real Madrid and they absolutely annihilated them. It was insane. So from then on, this became a whole thing about playing a 4-3-3, but not really having an out-and-out striker. So again, 
just want to highlight that the players and the attributes of the players have really changed by this point in time, right? Because you don't have a dominant striker up top like an Eric Cantona or a Didier Drogba or someone who just wants to be pushing the defensive line back, being a presence up there. You're, they're more happy with having midfield-type players just play up top and then drop in. Uh, so he started that really at Barcelona and then obviously went off to a few other clubs before coming back to the Premier League. And now both him and Klopp uh, play this formation where it's a 4-3-3, but you don't really have an out-and-out striker up top. So for Pep, especially last season when they well, lost yeah, let's, Aguero. Let's clarify, this definitely ended in 2021. Yeah, because looking yeah. at this season, everything's changed. Darwin Nunes and Nunes. Erling Haaland. So... It's, it's definitely a 2015 to 2021 era we're talking about here. Yeah, we've, we've seen the end of this era, for sure. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. It was a great era. I loved it. Uh, I'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess the main, players, the main player became that false nine who was really like the new type of cam but just not called a cam anymore so for liverpool it was firmino and now we've brought in jota into the squad who can play that role a bit too and over the past few seasons especially after aguero left city you ended up with players like foden playing in the false nine position he's pep has even put He's literally put any of his midfielders that he wants up there. It's Except Mares. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mares has been on the wing, but it's been... No, Mares has been on the bench. <laughs> I didn't want to be the one to say that. <laughs> but he's swapped it between Foden, he's played Gundogan up there, De Bruyne, whoever he likes pretty much. But their role isn't to press forward and push the defensive line back. The main tactic here is for that false nine person to be enough of a threat that they can drag a defender out of position, which then opens up running lanes and passing lanes through the middle for the wide players to cut in towards goal. And that's been the main way of attack or main um, strategy going forward with playing the false nine in a 4-3-3 formation for the past four or five years. And I have an interesting theory here on why this has now ended and why we're back to a more standard formation mm-hmm. uh, as of this season. And I think that's because, I mean, this is a false nine, right? It's a bit of a trick. It's a bit of trickery. It's about pulling out players out of position. There's only so long you can actually trick your opposition. And I think what I've noticed when I'm watching City and Liverpool play the last probably two to three seasons is more and more teams are beating and drawing with them by not falling for this trick. They just park the bus they let their defenders sit back, and Firmino's welcome to track back, but the defenders don't move with them anymore. They like to just sit near their box and close down space, and that's why it's been harder and harder for um, for the likes of, even last season, Mane and Salah to actually find space behind because they're not leaving space behind. So I think yeah. this innovation to now moving back to your more traditional model has been needed for Liverpool and for City to actually stay on top. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if you stick by something too long, it never really works. And I think we've seen examples of that. Mourinho stuck with his tactics too long a couple of occasions in the Premier League. Wenger kind of lost his way near the end. Wenger ball wasn't working anymore. And it's, look, it's a beautiful game, but you have to admit you have to innovate in order to stay on top. Yeah, because teams are going to adapt. Teams are going to get used to playing you and you have to keep changing to be effective. But just to bring this back, so there are a few other elements that we haven't really summarized i guess so we've gone through the different timeline there's obviously been a few influential managers over the years i think what we haven't touched on as much is about 
the different players that have come through because for me I feel like this all starts with the players that are being brought up through the academies that end up being available for first team squads and they're the center of it because managers look at their squads and base their formations and their tactics around the players that they have available. So we kind of touched on it earlier where we said uh, the 4-4-2 era with especially Ferguson and a bit of Wenger with, when, is when they had players like Burkamp and Cantona up top. I also think of at Manchester United, you had Dwight York and Andy Cole. Mm. So you had these absolutely stunning striker pairs and they were the powerhouse of the team going forward. And like I said before, your entire team was based around them to support them to score goals and win you games. And it's because you had players like that in the league. Whereas, like we mentioned, when you come out into the early 2000s, you start having a whole lot of these Spanish and Brazilian footballers. And they're not big, they're not strong, they're not going to bully you like a Cantona would or a Drogba would, for example. You have players like Fernando Torres and... These midfielders like Katola, Mata, Ozil, who play a different kind of game, so you have to work your tactics around how they play and what their skill set is. And then so what ends up happening is you have one striker up top. And then because some of these players aren't, or it's not to say that they can't defend, they're, they're not the best defensively, so they need support, which is why you adjust and you bring in the 4-2-3-1. So you make sure that you have cover behind them with two defensive midfielders, which leaves them to be sort of more open and more free to roam and be creative. So I think it really starts with the different types of players you have in their skill sets. And that's what's kind of driven it all. But obviously it's up to the managers to to see this and to, and to make it successful. Yeah, definitely. So I think also if we dive down into these uh, this 4-2-3-1 and 4-3-3 era, I think it's interesting if we both compare quickly who we think our top three cams from that technical era are and why obviously i'm actually making this up on the spot so i don't have thorough reasoning here but looking at the list right i'd have to i'd have to say number one for me is santi cazola number two is Ozil, and number three is david silva does that sound biased for the two arsenal players does it sound biased probably but honestly i could justify it who would your three be i'm looking at a list that we have Further down here. I honestly think... By the way, those three were in no particular order. It's just my top oh, okay, three. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, my mine would be David Silva has to be up there. Ozil... I put Ozil over Cathola, Um So I'd say Ozil. And then honestly, Gerard when he used to play Cam, can't, can't get Except much better. he wasn't one of the technical midfielders. He was the, he was the all-rounder like Lampard. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's the difference. That's I'm the saying. only caveat. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think Coutinho probably deserves a shout. Yeah, he does too. But I think, yeah, I think David Silva is just gold class. Like, forget all the other names that I mentioned. He's the first player that comes to mind. That man could just, he could control a game. Like, if you had him in your team, you were winning the game because he could just hold onto the ball, spread it out wide. He was like a little puppet master. And it, and it worked best against teams that parked the bus and every team used to park the bus against City, which is why... And, and he'd just pick them apart. Definitely. And I, I, it's interesting. I notice a lot of parallels between Cazola and David Silva. They're both Spanish. They're both short. 
<laughs> but they both they have, both have same, amazing hair. They both have all those same attributes. That Great tan skin. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> they both have all these attributes um, that you were just mentioning. And I think one interesting other thing I notice about all these technical cans is that, yes, they're all on the shorter side, but they've all got this low center of gravity. And what that allows them to do is pivot and turn pivot <laughs> pivot <laughs> pivot and turn really really quickly mm-hmm. and what you noticed when you watched a lot of them play is that they would turn compl- their body 180 really quickly around large defenders and make a way and make a play in a different direction and it's very difficult when you're taller or more mm-hmm. lanky to actually do that but the way that these short guys can turn and pivot they can completely change a game at a much faster pace and so that's what allows these types of players to be so good and so technical. One last point that I wanted to make on this was about Roberto Firmino and how the role is pretty much the same no matter what formation you're in, right? Because Firmino playing in a false nine is still expected to turn a defender, move into space, and find a forward pass either to wingers making inward runs or midfielders making a run on beyond him. And the only way that changes is in a 4 one when the cam turns their defender, they have slightly more options because you'd have wingers out wide and then you'd also have a striker up top having movement for them to pass into. So I think the main point to take from that is regardless of the formation you're in, that skill of being able to turn a defender, move into space, get your team moving forward and build an attacking move is still there. And you still need to have a player who can do that. It's just the difference of the team around them and the formation that you put them in 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 a general overall game. Uh, I think a really cool way to wrap this up would be to think about where we say where we think this is going in the future, David. Um, So like we said, this era has obviously stopped in 2021 because Liverpool have brought in Darwin Nunes, City have brought in Eric Harland. Early Erling. Why did I say Eric? It's an early Eric morning again Ten over Hag. here at the part-time Gaffer Studio. I was I was watching the Eric Manchester Harland. United game this morning on the train in to record. So I'll blame it on that. Erling Haaland. And so we've started with these bigger strikers coming back into the league. And like I say, it all starts with the players. Managers have to work with the players that they have. So where do you think this is going? What sort of formation, what sort of style of play do you think will be coming back or will be used going forward? So I think, and don't giggle too much, I think Arteta is going to be the next manager to set a trend here. Of course. And I think the reason for that is there's something special happening at Arsenal which is working so well and every pundit is picking up on it every single week. And that is Erdegaard. The guy is your your classic tactically gifted midfielder and every game... He is creating a huge amount of opportunities for all the forwards. He's controlling the midfield, and that's something that's being highlighted again by pundits every single week. And I think it's only a matter of time until other teams adopt this model again of having that kind of guy in their team. Man United seem to be trying it out a little bit with Fernandez, but Fernandez, mm-hmm. I almost feel like, is more of a second striker still. Yeah. So. We'll see how that goes for them. But I think that this is something which is going to be adopted by the likes of City and Liverpool because you can have this big guy up front. You can have Haaland. You can have Nunes, who are both... Actually, no. Haaland's technically gifted. Mm -hmm. Nunes, not so much. Uh, uh, Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. The guy can get uh, goals for days. I just think he's not as technically gifted. I'd agree. I think what we're going to see is a combination of that 4-4-2 
early Premier League era and that technically gifted era under winger. And we're going to see cams, which are very technical, but we're going to see strikers who are quite physical um, and you have a big reliance on them getting the goals in your team rather than all the goals coming from all your players. Yeah, I think it's going to go in a slightly different direction. I think we're probably going to move more towards larger target men in the Premier League because you've now, again, it's all about the players. You've got these big players up top. I think managers like Klopp and Guardiola will still prefer their type of build-up through midfield. It's not going to be long balls again up through to the target man, but I think it's definitely going to be more... The the focus of the team has got to be shifted more up top to this big target striker and just bank on him to finish his chances in the box. So yeah, that's our different takes on where we think it's going in the future. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's been a very fun time for us to prep for. There was a lot of effort that went into this, and I definitely learned a bit more about the evolution of the cam roll. Uh, like I said, at the top of the episode, we're going to be turning this into a series for you. So we'll be rolling through different positions in football, doing a very similar thing, just giving you a bit of a background highlighting some key players, managers, trends. So hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, please let us know on Twitter, some feedback through Spotify as well. We've been trying to be really active for you guys on Twitter. So uh, let's try and engage a bit more on there. Looking forward to that. And until next time, see ya. See you later.